Let's go. I sell products, not advertising. This monkey business is in your blood, under your skin. You're getting out, you're just getting in, you're only getting started. People will think what I tell them to think. Oh, have I got your attention now? You have part of my attention, you have the minimum amount. This guy's got the right idea. Why don't we begin? Target locked and ready. Bombs away! Welcome back, Built to Scale, with me, your host, Mitch Fanning. Joining me today is Chris Walker. He's the CEO at Refine Labs, an agency that helps B2B companies grow revenue and accelerate pipeline. Chris, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing fantastic, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to have you on. Love what you're doing on LinkedIn. I also think what you're doing uh, with your with your agency is is uh, fantastic as well. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to cover a lot of ground today uh, in really such a short period of time. But before we do, before we kind of give the audience a bit of context as far as how we even got to this point, you and I, um, how did you make your way into the world of marketing? And, and really, how did you get the idea to start Refine Labs? Yeah, so it's a long story. I'll try to make it quick so so we can get into some of the good stuff. But I uh, I started my career in, in engineering. I was writing firmware for products um, and quickly realized that what I really enjoyed was understanding how customers would use the product and what value would they, would, they would get from it. So I started to move to upstream pro- product management, customer research, product roadmap, uh, feature specs, working with engineering, launching the products, moved into full cycle product management, both upstream and downstream, which was a, a really cool experience with the PNL accountability. Um, and then about five years ago, moved into venture-backed, high-growth companies and in, in demand gen, brand marketing type of roles. Um, and through that that period of time, I uh, built a demand function inside of a $30 million fast-growing company from the ground up on myself. Did everything from deciding on the tech stack to content creation, to community management, to paid ads, to um, AdWords, Hubs- HubSpot builds and automation, um, revenue operations. Uh, reporting and marketing ops. And so like um, that experience was how I built this function. No one, I didn't come in and have a CMO telling me that we should do content syndication or that we should go to trade shows or that we should do these things. I decided I did things and decided which ones worked better than others and continue to just try and move people into an area of focus where you focus on the things that work best and you try and strip out the things that aren't so that you can focus both budget and I think more importantly, mind share of your team on the things that really work best. I see a lot of companies that fall into the trap of thinking that LinkedIn is important, but their team is doing so many things. That their team only spends 1% of their time on LinkedIn content creation and posting and engagement. And you're just not going to get the impact that you desire with that type, with that level of both time and budget investment. So it becomes a check the box exercise. Let's post a press release here. Let's post a customer story organic with a link, not understanding platform dynamics, get 25 views on it and decide that LinkedIn doesn't work. Like that's what's happening. Yeah. And it's, it's a good segue because, um, I mean, really what started this conversation was uh, I think Jason Lemkin, uh, the godfather of, of Saster, uh, he, he put something on LinkedIn and you commented. And I think the comment was essentially, I'm, I might be paraphrasing, but the comment was uh, because um, companies are stuck running the HubSpot SEO playbook like it's 2011. And I, I had to chuckle because it really resonated with me because a lot of times I find uh, myself uh, saying this to my team 
um, when we have a conversation or if there's an, a request from another department and I'll be like, that's so circa 2008, like let's mm -hmm. get beyond that. And so I guess, um, first off, let's, let's kind of, let's kind of touch upon that. Why, why are companies still stuck running that outdated HubSpot SEO inbound or just uh, an outdated playbook? Why is it still happening? And, and two, I guess, why are marketers kind of stuck in those three buckets that being, or, or the fact that, you know, they can't measure results, um, or, or the ones that are the small percent that are actually doing it well and actually get buy-in. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of factors here. I'll just throw out a couple things that are on my mind. I don't think this applies to everyone. Um, but the first one is that they've been trained by the MarTech vendors to use the MarTech software in the way that they need in order to continue to use the software. And so you need to gate eBooks in order to put people in nurture streams. So, and then if you do that, then you need HubSpot. So the vendors have told, and the same thing goes for Pardot or other vendors, attribution vendors do the same thing about attribution. And so that's one is that the, the MarTech vendors train marketers to do marketing that supports the use and, and purchase of the software. Um, the next one is that I feel like, um, nobody gets fired for not challenging the status quo. I would say that more people get fired for challenging it than not. Um, and so I feel like a lot of marketers get comfortable in doing the same things. Um, the third one is that the things that I preach and I know work very well, I know are very hard to implement at companies. I know that they're hard to implement at companies because, executives score in ways that don't incentivize people to do a lot of the things that I tell people to do. Um, and so, yeah, those are, those are a couple of the, the reasons why I think it's happening. I'm sure that there are a lot of other permutations and, and different ways that we could go with this, but that's, that's what I'm seeing. Yeah. It's interesting. The, the last one, uh, that you, you kind of mentioned really resonates, um, with me as well. Um, a lot of the things that I find work or, or could work are hard, are hard to do. Uh, I guess that's, that's something you could say about life and uh, other things, but, mm -hmm. um, we're, we're currently putting together, you know, what we would call internally a thought leadership initiative, mm -hmm. standing up demand. Uh, we're very account-based focused because of our market. Um, and, uh, we're completely revamp uh, revamping our, our tech stack, uh, to get better reporting. Those things are hard to do. Those things are not, not easy, not easy to do. Uh, so, so a lot of people will do the easy things and, um, get stuck in a silo. It seems. Yeah. It comes down to <clears throat> the first one is that it's hard to do. It's hard to produce a podcast that your customers actually want to listen to. It's hard to post LinkedIn content that your prospective buyers actually engage with. That is a hard thing to do. The second thing, if you can even get over that place, is that it's hard to measure. Yes. Uh, it's hard to measure in a way that executives buy in. And so for those two forces that are very strong, most people sit back and are like, okay, we got a thousand ebook downloads, we can report and you know, I'll keep I'll keep doing my thing. I always say that um if you do demand right, it should subsidize brand. In other words, um, there should be a or vice versa. Or funny vice enough, versa. yeah, yeah. And it, yeah. So it's it's it could be a chicken and the egg. Yeah, um, I mean, I find the best 
I'm sorry to interrupt you as no, well, no, but I just love, I love kind of the back and forth. Um, I find that the best um, demand happens through brand executions. And when I, th- when I define brand execution, it's just I'm doing something and I'm not looking for direct attributable ROI performance marketing out of it. I'm putting out a LinkedIn post with no, no desire to have it trickle into a sales conversation. And I'm not measuring it that way. And I think that those types of executions of podcasts, LinkedIn organic, YouTube video content, live Q&As, field marketing events that aren't driven on number of leads, like those types of things are what actually drive demand. You can run, you can run paid ads and have a paid model that's going to, to work in concert with that. Um, but I think over time, what companies should be aiming for is that they can lower their paid budget to a place where it's profitable and sustainable because the brand and thought leadership and organic executions have taken over and drive most of the results. It definitely makes brand definitely makes uh, it, it a lot easier as far as demand goes. And so that kind of brings me up to another, another point, brand versus demand. Um, you know, again, I, I see this on LinkedIn all the time. Uh, and, and, and in a lot of cases, things are both not binary. Mm-hmm. Why, why, why? Are, and again, obviously it could be because of the things that you had said already about, you know, MarTech driven, but why, why is there this, there's this debate about brand versus demand when the conversation really should be both or, or the right mix, depending on the brand company. is a part of demand brand drives demand. Right. Right. And so, um, yeah, I don't think that it's either or. The challenge is about the measurement. It real it really is. So if you are working at a thirty million dollar company and your CEO and CFO don't don't understand marketing, which is another key point that I really want to touch on for marketers. Dave, Dave Gerhard talks about it a lot as well. Um, if those two people do not understand marketing, they are going to push you to run 100% performance marketing. And I don't even consider performance marketing demand. I call it, I consider it lead gen. And so, um, cause you're not really creating demand. You're collecting email addresses so you can do outbound sales. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I really do think it ends up, it comes down to as a marketer, whether you're the CMO or the marketing intern, finding a place to work where the leadership team respects and understands true marketing. And it's it's kind of goes back to that you know things being hard, um, you know. So marketing has been turned into this complicated thing, and a lot of a lot of um, I'd say specialists who end up being directors and getting getting into those um, kind of executive roles almost get get there. In some cases, they get there without really understanding how to actually communicate or, or create that you know or manage up or create that change management um, mm-hmm. or they've, they've worked with uh, CMO or CEOs and uh, revenue leaders that maybe understand it. Um, why, why is this happening in the sense like, why is it so sometimes for people so hard to communicate what marketing actually is to, uh, to their kind of CEO and their revenue, revenue leaders? <sighs> The sh- I, th- I think what it comes down to is connecting the dots between the activities, which may not be directly measurable if you're doing things the right way, to business results, which I've found a very clear way to do. And so like the way that I look at it 
is at the channel level, I'm measuring it based on the goals of the channel. If I'm running direct response Google AdWords to drive demos, that's how I'm going to measure that channel. Conversely, if I'm running LinkedIn to drive awareness and engagement for the company or the brand or whatever, that's how I'm going to measure the channel. I'm not going to measure the, cha- the channel where I'm trying to drive awareness based on leads. And right. that is a huge disconnect. So the first one is decide what you're trying to accomplish in the channel or the campaign underneath the channel because some channels can be used for both. Right. So decide that first and then measure the business results at the business level. So if you have seven channels running at once, YouTube, display, AdWords, um, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, you have all these channels running at once, you need to measure and, and architect the system, the budget, the focus based on the results that are happening at the channel level and then connect it to the results that are happening at the business level, which is more hand raisers, people coming in said, like to talk to your sales rep. Those people are converting to opportunities at a very high rate, much significantly higher than outbound. They're closing at a significantly higher rate. And how do you continue to increase that volume based on the channel mix without degrading quality? And that's where people get stuck is that they have 30 demo requests every month that are coming in that are great quality, that are closing fast, that are doing all these things. But when they try to go to 100, what happens is the 70 delta ends up being a lot of junk because right. what they try what they try and do is they run paid social, drive people to a demo form and let people convert when they have the the differences between somebody that comes in through an organic search, whether it's branded or unbranded, reads the value proposition and converts versus somebody that was on paid social looking at vacation photos that you drove them to a landing page and they convert the funnel metrics between those two conversion points are going to be wildly different. The quality of the sales conversation is going to be wildly different. They both asked for the same thing, but how they got there was very different. And we need to start to respect and understand the buying journey and what, where and how people are getting to you. Again, another thing that's hard and hard in the sense that you actually have to sit down and do some hard thinking around what that, what that, um, buying process is. Um, a lot of these things are, are things you have to do kind of before you bring on the technology. So let's, let's kind of switch gears. And we, we talked mm-hmm. a little bit about measurement. Um, you know, obviously measurement and attribution and influenced revenue is important. Um, you, you, it can be, as you would say, uh, it can be too, it can be dangerous if you focus too much on it. Um, and, and, and I'll actually add to a certain extent, um, most people don't realize that, especially with early stage, there is no baseline. You need to create the baseline first, and that's always tricky. But why is measuring attribution and, and influence, uh, why can it be so dangerous? Um, so, you know, from your, mm-hmm. your standpoint, because the, the core way to think about it is that marketers end up doing the things that they can measure, not the things that work the best. Right. And so that's what I see happen. That's why people continue to run the HubSpot play because they can drive someone to a download and measure it and put them through an email nurture. And then six years later, when they become a customer, they can celebrate, right? Not knowing that if the same person just read the content, they probably might've bought something in two years, but they can't measure that. So they don't know. And so they just, uh, there's a level of common sense that I really would like to kind of like push people to, to use, which is that like, you don't need to measure everything. Like I know that the LinkedIn channel is working based on a variety of metrics that I qualitatively feel 
that do not show up in a HubSpot attribution report, do not show up on the close one report, even in the enterprise packages that claim to have great attribution, it's showing up based on direct traffic or organic search and all the work's being done in LinkedIn. And I just am smart enough and I've done this enough to know how one channel is going to impact another without needing to measure it and go to the CFO and be like, hey, I think we should put another resource on LinkedIn. I think it's working. I just, um, that on attribution, that's kind of how, how I feel on influenced revenue. I only think that it's dangerous because it, it allows marketers to feel like they're having a big impact when they often are not. And so I think that mark marketing or demand or whatever you want to call it inside of companies should be driving a majority of net new acquisition, more than 50%. And when you shift to influenced revenue, you move people, marketers to focus on marketing to active in pipeline because it's the closest to closing, which therefore is the easiest to measure. Um, And so I think it moves marketers away from actually driving demand and more to trying to influence pipeline, which you should do, which is smart to do that, but you shouldn't spend 100% of your time on it. No. And then if you move to influence pipeline, then the stuff like thought leadership, creating new demand on paid social, a lot of the important things that are going to drive a business long-term become a secondary or tertiary priority, which is not how it should be. Yeah. And, you know, as far as like net new pipeline um, or just new acquisition, it's uh depends on, you know, where you are in, in the business for sure. Um, but when, you know, let's just, pick on uh you know revenue influenced mm-hmm. um you know again looking at that to see what's working internally and even you know looking at that as one as, as a metric to show but you know when you drill into those reports um again depending on the sales cycle if it's if it's a longer or depending on the attribution model that you've got try um convincing a revenue leader that that email that you sent out that they went precisely that's they would have closed anyway. They would have bought anyway, right? Like, okay, the SDR made a cold call. They booked a meeting and then we decided to show 10,000 banner ads to the account. And that was impactful in them closing the deal. Like that's a very hard thing to justify. So I consider influencing revenue is not something that I'm reporting on. It's something that I'm doing, but I'm not celebrating that we ran these ads and then customers closed. It's not a primary KPI for me. I'm focused on driving the business, right? Helping sales and educating customers is smart. Educating prospective customers while they're in the journey and having that well-defined and, and a well-oiled machine to do that is smart, but that cannot be the primary focus of marketing. So, you know, as, as a, a marketing leader, uh, I also kind of spend some time on the product and, and, uh, and RevOps side, and I always find that it's, you know, it's one of, one of the things that I, I've been thinking about as far as a personal point of view is, if you want to be a better marketing leader, spend some time learning another function or understanding those other function, or at least being able to influence those other functions. What are your thoughts around that? I think I'm a much better marketer because. In 2014, 15, I owned the PL for an $8 million business unit. I was the CEO of that business unit. I was focused on product, comms, pipeline, revenue, managing the distribution channel, helping the sales reps, sales enablement. I did, ev- I did it all, right? And having that 
breadth of understanding about how an organization operates allows you to do a lot more things as a marketer, right? If you're just in this little siloed function, you don't understand downstream what happens when you send 10,000 leads that don't work, that don't close to your sales team. Not a lot of, like there's marketers out there that don't understand the negative implications to doing that. It reduces productivity. It creates sales marketing misalignment. It drives um, just not results, higher, higher customer acquisition costs, a lot of things. So um, yeah, I mean, I get very surprised when, when marketers don't think like that. Now I'm going to go off script a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm involved in, in our board meetings on a quarterly basis. And, you know, I know that, um, again, the debate, uh, on LinkedIn or just, you know, in general, you know, is why aren't, why aren't marketing leaders part of the board? Why aren't they part of those discussions? And, you know, when I'm in those meetings, uh, you know, the way you talk and the language you use is important because if you start skewing towards marketing specific metrics or, you know, what people are calling vanity metrics, if you even touch on those, you're dead in the water. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I have my own views on these things, but you know, what are your thoughts around why why marketers aren't part of uh, of those, you know, significantly part of those board meetings, or maybe even a board member? In two thousand seventeen, when I was building this demand gen function from the ground up inside of this fast growing thirty million dollar company, what I learned is that. The only thing the CEO cared about was pipeline revenue, customer acquisition costs, sales efficiency metrics. And so that's all I reported on. I didn't care how many people downloaded the ebook. I didn't tell him or her how many people visited the website, how many likes we got on a post. None of that shit matters. It matters to a marketer. It doesn't matter to an executive. And so I think if you're able to change that, and like as a, as a demand gen manager, I was in board meetings. Not everyone, but I went to some to report on the things that we were doing because it was innovative and important. And so, like, I think you you c- can command additional budget. You can command a seat at the table when you act like you deserve a seat at the table. When you report on the things that that matter, when you do the things that move the business forward, and you're able to translate that to an executive. And so, do I? Do I think that it's right or wrong that a marketer is not in the board? No, it's 100% specific on the situation. There are a lot of marketers that don't deserve to be there. We'll just call it what it is. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I I would love, as as a profession, as a function, I would love if every marketer was in the, the, board meeting or room or making those key decisions. Um, but we have a lot of progress to make as a collective in order for that to be the standard. Yeah. It, it's, um, one CFO once told me, uh, and he wasn't directing this at me. He was just, we were just talking and he said, you know, you know, reporting on, 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 um, on activities and those type of vanity metrics is kind of like me coming into a boardroom and reporting on how many invoices we've sent out last month. It's meaningless. They they obviously look at the P and L. They'll look at EBITDA. They'll look at you know uh, gross margin. 
So, you know, it's those type of things that, that truly matter. Um, so switching gears, uh, you know, as we come to a kind of a, a smooth landing here, what is working? Um, like, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, the things that aren't working. What What is working um, in terms of just, and we can even start with um, brand thought leadership and then c- kind of go into uh, demand. Yeah, for sure. So the core things that I see working, one, high buying intent Google AdWords for certain companies can be very profitable. Most companies try and actually spend too much. So when we come in, we actually take budgets from 60K a month to 15K a month because the 45K delta was actually completely unproductive, driving mid-funnel content downloads and stuff. So when companies think about AdWords, they need to think about what are the things that are driving positive ROI? How do we push those to a maximum and then move the leftover dollars to something that's more productive? So Google AdWords, but typically for companies that are spending a lot of media, you should be reducing that budget a lot. I know a company that spends $8 million on Google AdWords and they're selling a niche software product and they're wasting probably $7 million of that. Um, the next one is uh, Facebook, paid Facebook ads. Organic Facebook is a complete waste of time for the most part. Um, But paid Facebook ads for certain B2B industries, we use a tool called metadata to improve targeting. Um, Some companies, you have a target that you can target natively. Um, But for something where company firmographics or something need to be layered on top where you'd think that LinkedIn was the place because the targeting is better, we've implemented a tool called metadata to kind of close that gap and get good targeting on Facebook. Um, LinkedIn can work. I think for companies that have lower ACV products, it's a very dangerous place to be. If you have a less than a 20K ACV product, you're at a minimum 18 month CAC payback period if you execute flawlessly. Um, And so that's like a place that I would stay away from unless you're selling super, super enterprise um, deals or higher ACV deals. Um, If we get into the brand side, like when we get into the brand thought leadership side, it only, these things work. It depends whether you're good enough at it to get it to work. And so inside of these, the podcast works. I know because the last three sales conversations I've had started with, I was listening to this episode of your podcast and that's how I know. I know the podcast working. The podcast also has a lot of other benefits, which is that you can go and interview people like you. And now I'm aware of you, right? Mm-hmm. Now I'm aware of you. Now we know each other. Who knows whether we have a partnership or you introduce me to someone or you whatever, like I can put someone in. So that stuff happens where if, so that's a, that's a benefit. It creates so much downstream micro content that you can put out on LinkedIn. Um, you, if we did a video podcast, I could go on YouTube, search optimized, uh, YouTube long tail search is what we're using, uh, YouTube for right now. So long tail search optimized people are going in for very specific things. We're not going for super high views, but a hundred views on the right video is a really good place to be. Um, LinkedIn organic is obvious for everyone. Um, the, the reach is amazing. In a B2B world, people spend a lot of time there. If you produce content, you do it well, and you have a good strategy around it, that will clearly work. Um, the last one that is, is not really feasible right now, but I'm very, very bullish on. I did a couple earlier this year before COVID happened is field marketing events, micro events, like yes. fireside chat style that are built on the the goal of the event is to create an, a, a phenomenal piece of 90 minute long form video content, not to sell to the 25 people in the room. 
you create the long form video content, you bring in a thought leader, someone that has an audience, which then gives you exposure to all the people that, that they're exposed to because they're going to promote it and do things like that. You have the long form video asset, the long form video asset can go out by email, it can go on YouTube, it can go get broken down for LinkedIn content, high production quality video, if done well, crushes on LinkedIn because the most of the quality video on it is Zoom quality. Um, so right. yeah, I mean, those are that is the that is the playbook that I believe in. Um, we implement it, we see it work. So yeah, I love that idea. And even even in a uh, in a perfect environment, um, you know, you know, say post or or even if COVID nineteen didn't exist, uh, when I first came to uh, Rensync, which is in the prop tech space. A lot mm-hmm. of the budget um, was spent on on conferences, and I I do think that in this industry, um, real estate tech is a, is a or multifamily is a very interesting space. Um, mm-hmm. a, a lot of the things that I always say, a lot of I, I always feel like I'm kind kind of going back back in time um, because a lot of the things that um, were working kind of worked <laughs> that actually did work in 2008, mm-hmm. um, but. I wanted to take some of that, uh, some of that, uh, you know, event, uh, event budget and actually move it into, into micro, uh, into mm-hmm. micro events to do that. So, yeah, on that, on that one, first off, um, I believe that most companies could get all of the impact of a conference without the booth and they could recoup all yeah. those costs. They could send sales reps to sales reps could set up meetings. They could send marketers to create content or do customer research, whatever those things are. And then you have all the money that you're wasting on booths. And then you go and you could do, in a, if you wanted to do it, I know companies that are spending a million dollars a year on trade shows minimum on the booths. And then you take that million dollars and you can do an event with high production video every week in a different city with 50 people there. And then all, of, and then you have content for the entire year. Absolutely. There it is. Yep. So switching gears and uh, we're, we're, we're coming to a, a close here. Um, this is sometimes my, my favorite part of the conversation. Um, it's the quick fire round. So I'll, cool. say it's, I'll say a statement or a question and you've got about you know 60 to 90 seconds to respond. So Chris, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Artificial intelligence fills you with hope or dread? Pick one. Um, the the future of it is promising. The current state of it is underwhelming. Uh, next, what's uh, the most misunderstood thing about you? Mm, that I'm against sales reps, which is entirely not true. I'm very pro sales rep. Um, the thing that's untrue is that I think companies spend too much money on sales to make up for the lack of marketing production. And I think the companies, if they had a good marketing team could actually have less sales reps that are more experienced, pay them better. And I think everyone works. It all works out better. Where can people find you on the interweb? LinkedIn's the easiest place. Um, LinkedIn, Chris Walker, um, alternatively, the podcast that I mentioned earlier is getting a lot of traction. It's called State of Demand Gen, um, most available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. A um, lot of great insights, crushing misconceptions like the HubSpot SEO playbook of 2011. Uh, a lot of marketers are getting value out of it. I get feedback all the time. So I would encourage you to check it out if you'd like. I am personally a subscriber. Uh, it's a, you're doing, uh, I think you're putting out some great content across the board. That's it. That's all I have. 
Cool. That's another episode. Thanks for joining, man. This has been awesome, Mitch. Thanks for having me.